Shula Bowl 19 is in the books. Has Willie Taggart found his version of Quentin Flowers? Have the FIU Panthers found any type of offensive success? All questions we have to ask and answer. And we are joined by our two FAU superfans. The first one being, uh, first thing, uh, the first one being all things FAU recruiting, FAU insider, FAU Owl's Nest, Mr. Shane Marinelli, and our other FAU fan for the week, it may be, it seems, <laughs> Mr. David Handel. <laughs> David, uh, first off, before, before we pass off to Shane, t- typically I would let, you know, the um the representative of the winning team you know lead this one off but david i believe you are a, a, a owl in spirit for the week sir do i have that correct i am a representative of the winning team for the next five days uh, i've gone through two days already um but yeah it's you know it's it's always fun when you get to win the shula bowl man it's, it's awesome isn't it <laughs> yeah it's i love how you know in schools that are so young and don't have much history um i will say this I love how the running for the trophy has developed, uh, especially some of the seniors like Willie Wright and Carl Smith, the FAU, who've won it. They have this competition. Who's going to run down there and get it first? Which I think actually is kind of it's one of the unique things kind of across the country. You don't really see this all-out sprint and get the trophy and run around with it in many other robberies. And I think it's turned into this fun thing. Um, and just represented FE's dominance recently in this series. Yeah. No, I, oh, sorry. Go no, 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 please. I, I want all the FAU fans to jump in on this one. So go ahead, David. <laughs> no, I was actually going to agree that I, I love that side of like the robbery that now it's like almost become tradition that you run after the trophy and then you rip off the helmet of the other team. Um, some people, you know, some people like get mad about it. I think it's, I think it's funny. I think it's, I think it's a cool thing to have. Um, but yeah, and you know, all jokes aside, everyone, you know, there's there's people that don't understand the joke that I'm that I lost the bet, so I have to be an FAU fan on Twitter for the next week. Um, so you know, don't hate me too much. But yeah, that's the situation that I'm in. I will pick be it up. A good for sport you. about it. David's Great absolutely. Sport. He's absolutely been a great sport about it. And thanks to everyone who kind of – David, we will – we will before we go into our uh, Chula Bowl recap, we will say shout-out to all the FIU and FAU fans who jumped in the FIU alumni chat, you know, as one of the things that you guys have mentioned and trying to get – you know, build some juice for this rivalry. Always love to see that spirited banter. Uh, give a shout-out to our guy Jack, Jack, uh, Jack Hack. He uh, invaded the FIU alumni chat, so that was fun. But really quick, you know, we'll jump into the Shula Bowl recap. FAU, winners for the fourth straight year. Final score, 38-19. Got my uh, game book here. Let's give a quick look at the stats. FAU won in pretty much every major category. First downs, 22-15. to 15. Net yards rushing. We will talk about Javion Posey and his addition to that in a second. FAU won 381-156. to 156. Uh, Total yards, 461-348. to, four, to, to, to 348. And, uh, yeah, I mean, FAU pretty much won, like I said, in, in every major category here. The Owls took over and uh, really dominated this game. From start to finish, yeah, you had a, a chance. There was a chance there. It looked like in the second quarter that FIU had a chance to get back in the game, and especially heading into the, the third quarter. I know it was 27-10, and F, FIU was driving, had a chance to make it 24-17, but they had to settle for a field goal. And from there was the James Charles and Javion Posey show, and then a meaningless score by uh, Rivaldo Fairweather at the end. Uh, Shane, as you know, in, in all seriousness, the joke aside, uh, our um, you know, representative from FAU, just what were your thoughts and kind of what you saw in the game? It went kind of how I expected, right? I do. I just think the hardest part was, and and I know FIU fans don't want to, don't see this right now, but 
they don't look crazy. The talent separation isn't as crazy as it looks right now. FU just plays harder, more together, and it's just more creative. And I and I don't want to turn this into a negative, just pound you know jumping on FIU. But you know I, we talked about it after the game. For the first five FIU drives on first down, started with a run up the middle. You scored on one, but the rest of it was just, you know, and FAU's just, you know, got creative. They put it in Javion Posey's hand and said, do what you do. Malcolm Davidson, take your 10 carries. He averaged almost 10 yards a carry. Do what you do. James Charles, always reliable and consistent. And, you know, they put up almost 40 points, which is everything you can ask for from a redshirt freshman uh, first-time starter who played receiver last year. Uh, I'm not ready to say he's Quentin Flowers yet. I need to see some passing game for that. But, yeah, man, it was it was pretty much everything FAU wanted, putting pressure on Stone Norton. I mean, you could just see when they were blitzing and they were going to tee off on him. It's exactly what I said Levitt was going to do, and they did it. David, from the FIU side of things, just what are your, kind of your thoughts as far as, you know, obviously the – Fourth loss of the year, sixth straight loss since the victory over Miami. I'll let you go and take it away from there. Yeah, you know, we were obviously underdogs, uh, kind of big underdogs in this game. So, you know, it was kind of wishful thinking, expe- like expecting a win. But I will say that the offense looked really, really bad. Um, I know, you know, we talked about how good the FAU defense is, but it just seemed like we – we couldn't get anything going. And like Shane said, the first play, everyone knew the first play, of the, the, the drive was going to start off with a handoff right up the middle. There was no creativity. It just, they looked so stagnant and in play in like, in turn, the defense actually, I thought played pretty well for a majority of the game. There's only so much you can do when, you know, you're on the field a majority of the time and, and the offense isn't getting any rhythm going. So you're basically on the field every other three plays. So, you know, in that aspect, I think the defense, you know, did what they were supposed to do for a majority of the game. But, you know, we just couldn't get anything started. We couldn't get build any momentum. We couldn't, you know, move the ball very well. So it was just kind of disappointing. But at the same time, this season has just kind of been like that. It's just kind of been disappointing. You know what the most disappointing thing was? You're 0-3. You're in a rivalry game. You're down 24 to 10. You have the ball fourth and goal, I think, at the four or five-yard line. You are down two scores. All right? The math of it doesn't make sense. Kicking a field goal brings you to two scores. Actually, technically three scores because you have to kick a field goal, score a touchdown, and then convert something from about the same spot to get a two-point conversion. So you have to convert that play anyways. And you roll your field goal team out there. And FAU, up 17 points, goes for it on fourth and two from the goal line. I mean, to me, that's such a microcosm of what's happening with the programs right now. I I mean, out of all the things, you could talk about young quarterbacks making mistakes and stuff like that. But man, when Butch, like, I was mad for FIU fans because I, you know, how coaches handle those type of in-game situations and timeouts and um, kind of math of it. Those are the things that are complete. One of the few things that's completely controllable in a football game. And when they handle them poorly, it infuriates me. 
Um, and it, it, that it, it infuriated me as an FAU fan when FIU rolled their field goal unit out on that situation. I mean, it, it, it threw up the white flag. It, yeah, it, it was honestly, it was embarrassing. I was pissed. I know obviously a lot of the fans were pissed. It just showed the trust level that the coaching staff had in the offense, which is embarrassing. Like we were, we were even like that drive was the best drive we had had all game and we're down two scores. Like you need to go for that. Like you need to, like we're like the kicking the field goal, like literally made no sense for all the reasons you just mentioned. And it was just like, I, I was just shocked when I saw we were kicking. I was like, yeah, I didn't let, even let, like, let's play this out. Like, I would love to ask Butch Davis really? a serious que- ser- series of questions. Okay, you kick a field goal there. You're down 11. You get the ball back. FAU three and out. You kick another field goal. Okay, now you got it to within one score. Eight points. You score a touchdown. Now you got it to within two points. Guess what? You were literally, in order to tie the game, you, were con- you have to convert a one-down conversion from the same spot. All right. Uh, so it, uh, it, uh, like, it, 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 it makes no sense. I mean, honestly, if a head football coach can't figure that scenario out, I, no, there's too many smart people in the game. There's too many good young coaches and people that understand timeouts and when best to use them and, and analytics out there for people to be kicking a field goal down two scores early in the fourth quarter. Uh, really quick, I was going to say this because Shane said if I had a chance to ask Butch Davis, I being referring to himself, well, I'll just ask someone who had a chance to ask Butch Davis about that specific play, I'll tell you his answer verbatim. It was that FAU had punted on three of the previous four drives, so you wanted to give his defense a shot uh, to go in there and play defense again in the, in, the, uh, in the fourth quarter. So that was the answer verbatim. But we still would have yeah, needed that. more other stops. Like, it just – it, it, we were <laughs> in scenario, like even kicking it or, or not kicking it. We were going to be in the same exact scenario. So might as well go for it for, for the record, for the record. I mean, I'm just, you know, I just wanted to state that for the record because you do have someone on the line who asked the question, but it, uh, in terms of my own POV, I would have gone for it. You know, that's just me personally. You know, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not going to get into the, you know, the, the, the analytics of, you know, young coaches and, and what they may or may not do, but just in terms of uh, the feel of that game, and specifically the momentum, you know, to come away with seven instead of three, I, I, I would have gone for it. But, no, I just figured I, w- I would address that and, really quick. And then if you, if you don't get it, now you have Javion Posey backed up at his own three-yard line. Now right. you're saying a quarterback who, who'd fumbled already in the red zone backed up. Instead of kicking it, now he has space. He's still up two scores. He can relax. And after you scored, I want three, four plays later. So it's just, you know, I, I mean – those are the type of things. Eric, though, I, I did want to ask you this, and this is sure. kind of the talk, and I'm way more conservative with this type of hype. And sure. I went and watched the tape. I sent it to you. I, do you think the Quinton Flowers comparison is just kind of fans in their imagination? And is there anything real to that? Shane, I'm going to give you an answer and then I'm going to send it back to you with a question. I don't, it's one game. You, you guys know me. I need, you know, a fairly decent sample size to start making those broad sweeping type of analogies. However, uh, this was what I saw as someone who had a chance, you know, was from Tampa and, and has a lot of family who are either USF Bulls or are closely affiliated with the program. I had a chance to watch the, really the emergence of Quentin Flowers from the 2015, 2014 and 2015 season uh, when I was still at UCF. 
And there are a lot of things that Javion Posey showed in that game that were really reminiscent of Quentin Flowers early on. I'm not talking about 2016, 2017, when he had Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Tyree McCants and Rodney Adams, you know, guys who uh, Valdez Scantling plays for the Packers and the other two got in NFL camps. Not that FEU doesn't have NFL type receivers as well, but I'm not talking about that Quentin Flowers. I'm talking about early. I'm still finding my way. I'm going to defer to my legs in certain cases. Yes, Posey doesn't look like quite the thrower that Q did at that point. And that's saying something seeing as that Q wasn't necessarily the greatest thrower. But you see a lot of things that are similar. And Shane, this is what I will say to pass it back to you with the question. What really looks similar was the way that Javion Posey was deployed looks a lot similar to the way that Quentin Flowers was deployed early on. So my question for you is this, Shane. Did you see anything in Friday's game that looked a little bit different than maybe the way they were using Nick Tronti? Yeah, I mean, just his, his, his knowledge of when to pull and run. I mean, he had the, the play of the day was that one where he, and this was beyond just regular quote-unquote running quarterback ability. We all know the play we talked about where there was no holes on the line, and he got patient, and he made a cut and found a hole and picked up a real nice game. You, you know the exact play I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, the, the O-line was washed. It looked like it was a bunch of stalemates. I mean, he looked like Le'Veon Bell just going, okay, let's give this a second. Oh, there's my hole. Let's go. Um, he's, he, I think he's even more athletic than Javion Posey. I mean, than um, Quinn Nick Flowers. Tron. I mean, oh, Quinn Flowers. Sorry. Yeah, right. way more athletic than Nick Trotty. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he just made smarter pulls. The running backs had more holes because there was the threat, you know, the, the, the safety walking up had to think about, is he going to keep this is, you know, and FAU was using a lot of motions with LeJonte Wester, who they kind of use in the Willie Wright role, um, even kind of in the Harrison Bryant role that play on the first drive last year, that would have been Harrison Bryant coming back across that line of scrimmage. Um, you know, very similar concepts there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my concern is is just, you know, FIU's defense has struggled. And, I mean, I, I asked you this, Eric. I don't know if you respond. I mean, there was a couple times where FIU literally came out and shotgun double wing. We're talking like old school, you know, Willie Taggart going back to his true Harbaugh right. <laughs> beginning high school defense. days, right? Like, yeah. he's like, you know, old school coach like Taggart's like running, the, running a double wing in 2020 is probably fun for him, right? <laughs> um and yeah, they came out in that, but every throw, I thought there was a couple throws where he had good feel, especially on that first drive. He's anything, but some of the throws that were supposed to be in rhythm were late. Okay. So, you know, I'm nitpicking here, you know, the, he missed Willie Wright by a half a second in the back. Right. So that, that was, that was a score. You know, definitely. Chris Robin sees that a half a second earlier. And Willie Wright catches that five yards deep in the end zone. That's a touchdown. Um, you know, there's a couple, there was a throw, I think on the second or maybe third drive of the game where they, you know, he threw to the running back and it was, it was dry. It was a nice play by the FIU DB, but it was late. You know what I mean? It was just those very little type of things. And, you know, eventually what happens with all these type of offenses is you run into a team that's physical and has your speed and is going to neutralize it. And you got to do things that win football games in 2020 and that's throw the ball because throwing the ball essentially eliminates physicality because, DBs can't really be physical anymore. So, yeah, I mean, we'll just see what type of development he has. He should be able to build some confidence with this week's matchup for FAU, though. 
David, hang tight because I'm going to come back to you with a quarterback question for FIU. But I want to run this, Shane, really quickly. It doesn't have to be like a crazy long answer, but I'm just on the fly. I want your thoughts on this. I know Willie Taggart at Florida State, you know, what really may have led to the downfall of him at Florida State was a, a litany of things. But essentially, he wasn't able to get that quarterback, right? And I know that was one of the things that, you know, wondering at FAU, would he be able to get that quarterback? This is kind of a question for you. And you can take it any direction you want. Does it feel to you like at least – with JV on Posey, he's got a guy who you can get the best version of the Willie Taggart Gulf Coast offense or whatever version of, of that Gulf Coast kind of system he wants to run. Because that, to me, is what I saw. Even without the passing, Shane, it's been one game. But even without the true passing threat, you just talked about Malcolm Davidson. You talked about James Charles. You talked about you know the, the, um, the, running, um, uh, the running ability of Posey. Him being in the lineup kind of uh, it gives you the best version of the Willie Taggart offense. Yeah, so there's there's two answers to that question. There's the FAU fans who, in a way, have gotten a little spoiled after Lane. You know, people, I think, sometimes forget. With the team as it's built now, if J.V. Posey doesn't get a hair better, I mean, FAU's going to at the worst with their defense and the way they recruit. They're a seven-win, 18-win in Conference USA every year, right? They're going to go to a bowl. They're never going to have a bad season with that. But the spilled FAU fan that's seen 11-3, seen touching top 25, sees Coastal Carolina right now, sees Marshall, he's going to have to take some major steps forward in order to beat that. You know, FAU fans now, especially after being so dominant in Conference USA, even now this year, you know, the – when the dust settles this year, FAU's going to be eight and one and fans are going to be like, well, that one loss was to Marshall. We were down 20 players and, you know, uh, we almost pulled that game out. You know, we fought till the end in that game. So the natural thinking is, is we want to be on a level of Cincinnati. We want to be on a level of, you know, those kind of top G five teams that are kicking around 15 to 25 every year. And, you know, so if this goes a couple of years and you say we found our quarterback and Posey hits a ceiling that doesn't provide that type of play, it'll get old quick. Sure, sure. I, th- I think that's a fair expectation. David, uh, I know we don't do a ton of show prep here, so uh, uh, just bear with me. I'm going to ask you this. Um, I have the quote from Butch Davis, a really detailed quote about his thoughts on the quarterback play and what needs to improve from both Stone and Max. Would you rather give your thoughts on what you saw first, or would you rather hear the quote and then opine? But I'm fair warning; it's a very nerdy, coachy quote. I'll I'll, go, I'm, I'll, I'll wait for it after this because my my biggest problem with you know the quarterback play was that you know Stone obviously is a very very young guy, and I just had a problem with the play calling. Like I I I would have loved to see you know quick passes like slants or screens to get him like to build on that, you know, um, you know, just to build his momentum or not his moment, his confidence. And you didn't really see a lot of that. It was, you know, a lot of dropbacks and like, you know, trying to make big plays. But I think for a young quarterback, especially like a guy like Stone, you want to get him started early by like doing slants or screens just to, you know, build his confidence and then go for, you know, big plays. And it also didn't help that a lot of our receivers had some big drops. So that's another thing. It just, you know, it just wasn't great. But what, what did, what did coach say? 
Okay, so here's kind of kind of the the details of his quote right here. So uh, it really starts on Wednesday. I'd mm. asked Butch Davis, what does he feel that the team needs to do with the quarterbacks, given the fact that one of the things he's emphasized, the quarterbacks need to get the ball out of their hands quicker. What does he see that they can do to maybe get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quicker and get the ball into the hands of their playmakers like J.J. Holloman and Bryce Singleton, right? And what Butch Davis said eventually, uh, essentially is this, and I'm going to kind of boil it down, is – the big thing from the quarterbacks is pre-snap, right? So with James Morgan, him being a very you know intelligent and probably more so than the intelligence, a very experienced quarterback, right? He had played in 22 games, started 18 at Bowling Green. That James essentially had a better understanding of what needs to be done pre-snap in terms of reading defenses so that post-snap, it didn't matter whether the play resulted in a touchdown or a first down, but James' ability to digest what the defense was doing pre-snap made things more efficient post-snap so he could get through his reads quicker and that they weren't holding on to the ball or taking sacks, right? What he needs to see, what he said is that he needs to see from the quarterbacks, both Shane, uh, well, Shane, both Stone and Max, sorry about that, is that they need to be able to process, and Kalen talking about his performance as well, is to process what's going on pre-snap, to digest that information post-snap, and then make better plays. So now I'm not asking you to, you know, dissect butch davis's quote i mean butch davis will know more football than any of us will ever remember however i guess i'm asking you your thoughts as a fan through four games through a season that an off season where they didn't have a spring practice they didn't have a fall camp didn't have a training camp with that being his what he's seen from the quarterbacks right and what he needs to see does that at least make you feel like okay Given how nuts this year has been, I need to maybe dial back my expectations of the quarterback and take that into account of what's going on. And then maybe we run it back in 2021 with a regular, you know, a regular training camp and a regular preseason and then maybe have a better assessment of A, the quarterbacks and B, as a fan, you can feel more confident in saying like, this is or isn't what's working as far as offense and quarterback itself. I I know I asked you a lot there, David, hopefully it made sense. Yeah, no, no, it made sense. And actually, funny you say that because I think that was what helped out Max the most because Max came in and kind of gave us a, uh, you know, a, bur- a kind of a burst of energy. And I think a lot of it was because he was able to read the defense more just due to his experience, you know, playing longer than Stone has played. And so I can see that. And I do think that, you know, having no offseason did hurt the quarterbacks. But at the same time, I just, I just think a lot of it also has to do with some poor play calling. I think it's a mix of two things, but, but yeah, I think that that's probably Stone's biggest issue, you know, just being so young that he hasn't gotten the full grasp on calling, you know, defenses out or being able to make those reads yet. And I'm curious to see how, you know, he can improve on that with a full off season. And that's probably why, you know, like experience wise, like, Max just came in and looked better because he was able to, you know, read the defense and took advantages of short passes and things like that. So I, I, I get what he's saying, but I think I don't think that's the only issue that I saw on Friday. Sure. And, and I think that's a fair assessment. You know, I, I do wonder, you know, for example, I, I, you know, I don't particularly question the play calling as far as the runs up the middle. You know, if that's what they've game planned for, then we'll let it play out and then we can critique the game plan from there. Right. What I kind of found curious was heading into the half, David, and you and I haven't had a chance to talk about this. So I'm curious your thoughts on this. The drive heading into the half, I was kind of bewildered at because it looked as, as if it was, 
let's do, go three straight runs, kind of see if we can get something. And then if we get a first down, all right, let's put it into gear and start taking shots downfield. You remember the drive I'm referring to, right? I know exactly the drive because I, I, I put it, in, I remember putting in our chat that I just, I didn't really understand because it's like, okay, let's just kill a bunch of clock. And then we get the first down and then we decide to go for it. So I was like, at that point, it, if you're going to, if, you know, I don't know, if, I'm sure that was the game plan to see if they can pick up anything on the ground first. But like, if you're going to go for it, you might as well, you know, not try to kill as much clock because you kind of put yourself against the wall. Like when you cross the 50 with, you know, like 30 seconds left. Right. And just for, you know, fans at home, remember that essentially, you know, if you're going to take into half, you can kneel on it and take into half. Or if you're going to take the shots, you, you know, you can take the shots. But it, it seemed as if the idea there was, all right, let's run, see if we get, a, you know, get a burst or get a first down and then, you know, choose to go downfield from there. Um, so, David, want to ask you this as we get ready to finish this one up. I know Shane uh, kind of recorded this one on the fly on a Sunday, so he had to drop off. But moving forward, we look at the rest of the schedule. You got Western Kentucky, Marshall, Charlotte, Louisiana Tech. Two questions for you. One, because this is something that we talked about in the press box. I feel that Max Bortenschlager, it's not necessarily that you've seen the best of him because he also is still a young quarterback and his play at, at Maryland, you know, was only seven starts, nine games. But with, but with Stone, Stone doesn't even have those seven starts in nine games, right? So yeah. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I, I was of the opinion that, hey, with the rest of this season, you're now 0 and 4. In theory, yes, you could win out and maybe a 4 and 4 FIU team gets a bowl game. But if that's not looking like the case right now, do you just play Stone, at least try to get what you can get out of him? Or do you take it as, all right, this season is so uncanny. You don't want to necessarily break his confidence or, or still try to figure out what you have a Max Bortenschlager and uh, do the quarterback rotation. Now, I'm just curious your thoughts on that, and I'll run one more question by you before we uh, wrap this one up. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I, I, I'm personally of the opinion, like, listen, especially if you look at, you know, who we have left on our schedule, um, you know, not to be like the negative Nancy here, right. but it didn't look very good for us. And so I, I totally wouldn't blame them to just play out stone because I think it is a good point to give him that more experience and more play time to basically like, you know, use these last four weeks as, you know, essentially kind of like a practice um, and just like build on his, on his abilities. And so that I do agree with, but at the same time, I'm sure, you know, they're going to try, they're going to play. I think that we're going to stick with the rotation and play with the hot hand. Um, you know, Max played, I thought, you know, decently well when he was brought in, but, you know, he hasn't looked great the other three games. So, you know, maybe they're, they'll probably roll with him until he messes up. They tend to do that. And yeah, you know, like I said, it's something that we'll kind of have to keep an eye on and see what the quarterback situation is going to be, you know, with both of them kind of being inexperienced in these four games. Yes. F- FIU can still win, but uh, you know, if you lose to Western Kentucky at a certain point, maybe you start treating it as a, a kind of a, a version of spring practice and trying to see what you have with both guys. The other thing I wanted to finish on, David, was somewhat of a positive note, or, or not somewhat positive, was a positive note. Devontae Price. We'd gotten a question in the FIU alumni chat if we saw, you know, believe that Devontae Price would be an NFL running back, and he looks to have his burst back. Um, really quick, just between, you know, Napoleon Maxwell had a couple, you know, bursts, and remember he had the long run of last year's Shula Bowl game. Anthony Jones, you know, has suffered multiple multiple knee injuries in his career, but, you know, he shows some bursts at times. Devontae Price looks like the most explosive back. I mean, you would remember the Alex Gardner years much better than I would. 
But Devontae Price looks like the most explosive FIU back in a while. And I uh, just want to get your thoughts on what you saw from him. He's a stud, man. I, I love I love Devontae Price. I love his story, too, because, you know, of like the injuries he's gone through. And so it's awesome to see him, you know, almost putting the team on his back on, on times. And, you know, he's just such a big play running back. And you, you've seen like how, I don't even know how many, you know, like I feel like he's had at least like already five, like 50 plus yard runs at yeah. this point. Um, he looks amazing. He was, you know, one of the few bright spots from Friday. And honestly, one of the few bright spots this entire season, you know, on, at least on the offensive side of things. Um, so he he's awesome. I'm super like excited to, you know, excited for him personally. Um you know, to just see how he continues, but he, he looks awesome. Um, he's going to continue to roll. And that, I think that game, you know, did really well for, you know, his, his NFL potential. So he's a stud. I, I think he's one of the best running backs I've seen, at least from FIU when it comes to explosiveness and big playability. Yeah. Just to finish this one up, Devonte price, 26 carries by my recollection. That is the most carries an FIU back has had since I've been covering the team since 2018. Not sure what happened in 2017 with, uh, with the backs there, but I, I, I think that may have been 2017 last year, the Gardner year, right? Last year, the Gardner era. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not sure if Alex may have gotten, uh, more than 26 carries in 2017, but that just goes to show you the injuries of running back. Sean Peterson, jr. Out Flex Joseph out, um, uh, Kenyon Owens out. So, or I believe it's Kijan, uh, Kijan Owens. I think I got a pr- uh, correction on the pronunciation of the name there. So Malik Williams, one carry for 15 yards, but price 26 for a buck 78, one touchdown. Max Bordenschlager was the leading passer, 11 to 21 for 149 in the score. Rivaldo Fairweather, you know, that was nice to see as a true freshman coming in seven catches for a buck 16 and, and a score as a young tight end. Uh, Tommy Heatherly did a decent job with the punting and your leading tackler was Richard Danes with nine tackles. So that's going to come from the FIU side of things. But of course we do have to give, uh, you know, the proper kudos and respect to the champs, you know, the Shula Bowl champs for the fourth straight year. As I wrote in my uh, game story, the Shula Bowl trophy is heading back or doesn't excuse me not heading back because I never left to the Smith Athletic Complex uh on the way out of the stadium David I actually had a chance to see a couple FIU damn it okay there's a dollar in the jar I had a chance to see a couple FAU staffers carrying it out and I I asked like hey can I get a quick uh picture of the trophy um you know identify myself with media they're like ah we got to get back to the bus (laughs) so uh that thing's actually pretty big uh it's pretty tall it took two yeah two staffers to carry that thing out so the Don Shula Trophy remains in Boca Raton. JV on Posey ran for a buck 82 and threw for 80 yards of two touchdowns. So definitely from the FAU side, FAU side of things, excuse me, uh, they handled things pretty well. And uh, apologies again to Vladimir Rivas. I, I said it was 37 yards. He corrected me on Twitter. It was a 43-yard field goal. I, I got the wrong number in the press box. So, Vladdy, you're doing a great job as well. Apologies uh, on there. So with that, uh, David, you all good to go? Can we uh, uh, anything, uh, final thoughts? Can we shut this one up? Yeah, we can kind of close this one out. I, there's not much more I can say about the, <laughs> that game. I, I don't even want. I want to put that in the rearview mirror and never see it again. Shane has vacated the uh, Shula Bowl podcast recording, so we will be left to close this one up. You can find Shane on Twitter at Marinelli Shane on Twitter. You can find David on Twitter at Mister Handel three two one. I'm on a one show winning streak here as far as getting the Twitter handles right. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C Henry underscore. Uh, David's got five more days of pun- of punishment of uh, you know fulfilling his bet with uh, <laughs> Willie Taggart's burner on Twitter. So you can find him. Make sure to get those quality Boca Raton pro Boca pro FAU tweets there. And uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Shula Bowl Pod. Thank you for listening. Please leave us feedback. It's only we can help this thing grow. 
And we'll catch you next week with a preview of Western Kentucky and, of course, the FAU opponent as well, which is escaping off the top of my head. I apologize. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll close this one up. So thank you for listening and uh, happy football watching, everybody.